again. Yep. <laughs> All right, speeding, camera's rolling. Um, Todd Meehan, let's gavel this to order. Uh, I appreciate you joining me here. Um, we texted a bit. We've, we've done a few podcasts, and we've approached them in various different ways, um, most of which have been sort of leaning towards the silly goose side of things. Um, but I've been thinking a lot about just this past year and sort of connecting with people that have been um, I don't want to say thought leaders in my life, but people who have been sort of rocks in my life in one way or another. And I'm just, I kind of want to ask those folks how this last year has um, affected you and sort of what, where your head's at now. Uh, and then we just, we'll go from there. But um, for me, I'm kind of curious just to start off with this general idea of doubt and like what, you know, I'm getting a lot of questions from students. Um, I'm seeing a lot of people post things that are sort of self, um, self, uh, what are they, um, diagnosing the reasons for your doubt and trying to find all the reasons why you have this doubt without actually addressing what it is that might be in your control. Like, and so I'm someone who's always had a lot of doubt. My hands have never been the best and you, we joke about it all the time, but like I've always been the guy that's like when Jason has to practice for one hour, I have to practice for four. And like just the reality of that is that there's like doubt in my head. Um, and I kind of like, before we get to the current Todd, like for you as a student, I don't think you and I've ever talked about this. What were some of your like freshman, sophomore, junior, senior moments where you were, you had moments of like real, uh Oh, <laughs> you know, as a student, and then we can work our way towards founder and director of liquid drum and sort of what your doubts are within that context. Now as a 43, 44 year old man, 44, 44 year old man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, as a student, probably all the same stuff that anyone who is a music student uh, feels and experiences. I think, um, I like I like the topic because it, by choosing this discipline, by choosing this pursuit, where I mean, the there's that um, necessary association with like feeling bad about yourself <laughs> a lot of the time, mm-hmm. um, and maybe that's no different than say high level athletics. Or, you know, I don't know, professional level, anything. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, I, I assume that we would have that self-doubt. But I don't know, music seems to um, perhaps expose it more frequently. Um, so whether we're kind of self-diagnosing in the practice room um, or putting ourselves on stage or in rehearsal with our colleagues and professors or or, you know, in actual performances, it's, mm-hmm. I think that voice is always there. So, um, yeah, I, I had, I had that, um, still have that, but certainly had it as a younger player. Um, like what a, in specific though? Like what, what do you remember any moments of like severe, like, man, I actually don't know about this. Um, never, never sort of crippling. Um, I think it happens on a lot of levels. I think mm-hmm. it, it can happen on the level of I hate playing, you know, soft snare drum in front of people. And mm-hmm. so I, I am anticipating that that's going to quickly go off the rails if I have to do that. <laughs> and then there's the, Oh, I'm about to graduate and um, I don't have any job prospects. So I mm-hmm. guess I'm going to keep going to school. Um, and I don't know, you know, if, if ever something will come up that will keep me employed and in, in doing this thing mm-hmm. that I think that I think I'm supposed to do, or I think I love doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, yeah, both as a player and also as a, um, as a person within, within the field. And then even, I mean, every, every stage of this, I'm sure you experience the same thing. You, it's a new version of the same, the same doubt. So early years of teaching at Baylor, do I know what I'm doing? No, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> you know, am I leading people astray? Am I, should I be mm-hmm. here at all? Um, to, you know, starting any new thing. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I do feel like you get more comfortable. I've gotten more comfortable mm-hmm. with the doubt. I've gotten plenty comfortable with 
being able to tell my students all the things I don't know and that I can't answer. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with that now. Um, was that always the case or were there moments where you were sort of like, you felt like you had to hide your ignorance of something Yeah, totally. because you felt like you 20, were, you're the, you're the authority in the room, you know? That's right. 26 years. I'll, I'll, I'll relate it to something that you know way more about than I do. And that is as soon as I started the Baylor job, I probably told you this before, but there was this expectation that we had a steel band. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Of course I didn't, you know, know anything about that. So mm-hmm. I, I had to, you know, kind of figure it out on the fly with help mm-hmm. from, I mean, we did have some outside teachers coming in from UNT, which was nice. Yeah. Uh, but still I had to be involved. I had to be a contact person. I played, I was the drum set player in the mm-hmm. group. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. So all along the way, I mean, but we're always in those scenarios, right? As teachers, like, okay, if I, I can stay one to two steps ahead of my students. <laughs> well, that's the thing that, that like, I, 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 I try to tell my students a lot, but I, I, I think they, they look at me like we used to look at our teachers. Like if you saw your teacher in the grocery store, you're like, oh, <laughs> you go away, go back to the room, you know? And they don't see you as like, they can't see you as a, just an older version of them. Mm-hmm. And that you were in that exact same chair having those same doubts and that like, yeah, in reality, you're five minutes ahead of, of all of the students in the room. And, but, and for the most part, I mean, this is definitely true for me. Most, for the most part on most all the instruments, my students now have an innate ability that's inherently like notches above my innate ability just by the default, by the, by the zeitgeist, the way things rep has been in the air now for 15, 16 years that wasn't in the air when I was a student. And so they're just picking things up quicker and I'm finding myself being less of a like, let me show you how to do it because like mm-hmm. you're not going to really learn <laughs> how to do it from watching my hands. But right. my I know what I'm going to sound like now right. before I make a sound. And I think that's not something I knew as a student and to sort of impart those things to them is really tricky. I'm curious, like for me, the doubt as a student, just to go back to student teacher relationship when you were on the student side, for me, the doubt there was some that was intrinsic, like I brought it on myself, but then there was the extrinsic sort of uh, purveyors of doubt, which were my, my teachers and sometimes my colleagues. But, um, you know, studying with Bob was the first time when I actually texted Bob the other day because I just wanted to be like, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about my time at Yale and I'm really grateful for, for a lot of things, but just the, Somebody looking at you and being like, you're not going to play in an orchestra for a living. You know that, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I would be like, well, what do you mean? Like, why do you say that? Like, that's horrible to say. And he's like, well, you know, like, I know what it takes to get an orchestra a job, like that path. Now you can sub with the Bridgeport Symphony for the rest of your life. And if that makes you happy, then great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're not going to win any auditions. Right. And like somebody <laughs> saying that to me, like, oof. But actually, now as a 41-year-old, it was a really crucial surgical moment of teaching from Bob's standpoint to really help me identify what it is. Like, it was teaching me to to say out loud what I knew I couldn't do. Mm-hmm. And I think I was like, I thought I had to say that I could do orchestra. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but, but I think in the wrong hands, that teaching technique can really crush somebody. <laughs> And so yeah. how do you, how do you as a teacher, is there a moment as a teacher where somebody, a teacher, maybe it was Bob or somebody else that said something to you that was like, whoa, <laughs> no one's ever said something to me about the way I mm. see things. And then as a teacher, how do you sort of mm-hmm. navigate that? Um, when I was a s- student, I mean, I guess I don't. I don't have any, I mean, there's, there was a few moments, uh, you know, in either playing for someone or interacting with someone, a teacher where I felt like, Oh, I, you know, what I just did wasn't good. And they're kind of letting me know. Um, and it, not as a uh, big picture as, you know, you sound bad on this marimba solo, therefore you'll never be a marimbist. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, we can take it that way. I, I remember playing for, uh, Nancy Zeltzman as an undergrad. Um, and her saying, you know, something about whatever I was doing that wasn't very favorable. I think I was playing Clapstown. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I remember playing for um, Daniel Druckmann. I took a lesson at Juilliard when I was looking at, you know, grad things in the same way that I did with Bob and percussion group Cincinnati guys. And um, Druckmann just being not, like, not too impressed. You know, just kind of getting the sense of, like, okay, this, I don't think this is going to work. This guy doesn't really care. Um mm-hmm. And those, those, I mean, those, those seem like small moments because I'm sure a lot of people have had a lot of those moments like, Oh, you know, I had, it wasn't a bad lesson, but just like a kind of, I kind of felt like I'm doing pretty good in life right now. And then I played mm-hmm. for this person that I expected that would, would be like, Oh, you're pretty great. You know, why don't you come and do this at my school or whatever. And um, getting the gut check of like, Oh no, they don't, they don't see it. So there's a, there's is, like a weird thing as a student, you trick yourself into thinking that you're going to be someone's protege. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, let me just, you haven't heard me yet, but once you right. trust me, I'm going to be staying in your guest bedroom and you're going to be, right. I'm going to be your. <laughs> well, I think, you know, that's, but that's the path. That's the, um, that's the reality, I think, because we, if, if you do start to excel in, in certain ways, um, and, and, and you have, you know, we're mentioning obviously the, the maybe more negative experiences as, as a student, but mm-hmm. they're coupled with uh, hopefully positive experiences. And so you do start to feel good about yourself in certain ways. So, mm-hmm. you know, by the time I was playing for Nancy and masterclass or, uh, Druckmann for looking at grad schools, um, you know, I had already done uh, PMF in Japan. And I, you know, I had, I had started rubbing shoulders with other people from these institutions and I was like, Oh, okay, no, I can, I feel like I can hang with, with these people. Okay. Um, and so you get, you know, it's that one step forward, two steps back or two forward, one back or whatever. It's, you know, it's all, it's all, it's all part of it. And, and understanding that, I think that all of this is leading me then to the experience I had with Bob at Yale mm-hmm. um, is that you have to be able to stomach that. Uh, I, I guess if, you, if you're going to be working with teachers who maybe, you know, kind of dig the knife in a little bit, like mm-hmm. make you feel really uncomfortable <laughs> at times. And I don't, I never had a big moment like that with Bob. Mm-hmm. I mean, he made it clear when I was first there, you, you know, all, all of the deficiencies I had, but not in a bad way, just like, okay, here's, here's what you don't know. And let's, let's start building these things. Um, but I, but I did feel the ever present, like, okay. I mean, every time I walked into a lesson with Bob and it never felt comfortable. It was never easy. Any, any time that he like called and was like, guys, weather's bad. Train's not coming in. You know, I was like, yes. (laughs) I, I know, I right? Like, sorry. Has anybody? I, I, I'm sure that the like, like the people who think, like, there's the lore of what it was like or what studying with Bob is, and okay. it's like all at once, so much better and so much worse than anybody thinks. Right. Like, right. like the, the yeah, like, yeah. the information I got out of those lessons now as a 41 year old who, in hindsight, was able to take those punches. Like, I think mm-hmm. because of whatever life experiences I had, I just was right. in a position where. And I was the type of person who I knew I was getting away with stuff in my undergrad. Right. Like right. the things Bob was saying, I was like, yeah, I've been saying that to myself and just not caring, right. <laughs> right. you know? And, right. and that, but, but yeah, I mean that anxiety of like, or, or he would call and be like, Hey, my, I was supposed to fly to Peabody, but my plane got diverted <laughs> because of weather and now I'm flying into That's Hartford. Right. I'll see you guys in three hours. And it's like, That's right. No, 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 we're, no. we're rehearsing. No, 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 go away, go away. We're like locking right. the doors and turning the right. lights off and hoping he just walks by, you know. That's right, yeah. Like, but no, we, we desperately need 24 more hours before you come here. Please don't come yet. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, um, yeah. so I think there's there's personality uh, um, fits for that. And, and, I mean, that's not even a personality fit because I don't, like, that's just being – having the ability, as you said, to kind of take those punches. And I had that mm-hmm. too. And I've, I've never been as an adult, I've never been overly um, sensitive. Um, it, it just in that I don't, I, at least it, it took a while, but it, it all kind of ties into what we're talking about here. Um, don't necessarily care so much about, mm-hmm. you know, what, what the outside voices uh, say or think about what I've done or not done. 
mm-hmm. or, or, who, or who I am. Um, yeah. Yeah. Beyond like my family, you know, my, and my close friends. Um, so I, I think even back then it was easy for me to say like, okay, yeah, clearly Bob, you know, a lot more than I do. And I agree. I don't know what I'm doing <laughs> on this instrument. So I'm fine to just like put myself in that place and learn. Um, but it is, I mean, it's fascinating. I, I, uh, I spoke to Bob a day or two ago on the phone mm-hmm. about another thing and talking to him now. And he, you know, he, I don't know, we talk every couple of months to, for one reason or another. I mean, he's, you know, he's still, he's still Bob. And like, when I see when my phone buzzes and the name Bob Van mm-hmm. is on there, <laughs> yeah. Oh, am I in trouble? Did I do, you know, it makes no sense whatsoever. But Todd, we um, need four timpani moved over to Sprague Hall right, right now, buddy, buddy, right, right now. And Bob, uh, I'm 41, I'm 44, I've got two kids and a wife. Like, what? come on, I got a pecan tree. Right. right. Me alone. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, but it's nice. It's also nice now to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice to kind of be more in the, uh, you know, I've, I've never even consider myself a colleague of Bob's. We don't work together, but um, at least, you know, he, he speaks to me in that tone <laughs> more so than in the, the, the student tone. And, um, I, you know, that too is revealing, like seeing, eventually seeing your teacher, you mentioned seeing your teacher in the grocery store, um, but just experiencing your teacher beyond your student years with that teacher. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe demystifying, what that person or who that person is, or, you know, sort of, I, I guess, you know, people that we want to study with, at least we put them on some sort of pedestal, I, yeah, I imagine. Yeah. And we, we think certain things about them, which may or may not be true. Um, mostly but, not. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I, I think in reality, most, most of us, regardless of age, we want to, you know, we want to spend time with our families and, and our friends and we want to, you know, we have certain hobbies outside of school or work that we want to pursue. And, you know, like, mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like that when you're in the throes of, right. of this guy's going to rake me over the coals because my soft snare drum roll doesn't sound good or because I don't understand time for marimba. Um, and, it, and that feels all encompassing. And I think to tie it back into what you're talking about, that's why it's so heavy. And that's why yeah. it's so potentially soul crushing when it doesn't go well, that it's, it's hard to turn that off and then just walk out of Hendry hall and say like, Oh, let's go get a bite to eat. <laughs> you know, no well, big deal. Uh, I would say one of the things I'm, I'm more self-aware of and trying to, again, like, I don't want to, I don't want to make it sound like I'm giving, like I'm forgiving Bob for some, something, but I'm sort of able to understand Bob mm-hmm. and that, or, or my teachers now, Larry Snyder included. Yeah. But a particular facet of the this this the type of the environment that was there whenever you were there, and certainly, and I think it's different now because he, I think he now lives in Connecticut. But mm-hmm. um, was he was commuting a lot, and right. so it was good in the sense that yeah, we would see him once a month, and it would be an insane like three or four days. But because he lived in Hawaii or he was flying, going you know teaching at Peabody. But now as a as an adult who commutes a lot to teach, I understand why Yeah, you don't have any patience for people who are late. <laughs> right. You know, it's like, bro, I, I drove six hours to get here. You <laughs> right. live in a building right next door. Like, I just don't care what you say right now. The The line was backed up at the, at the dining hall. I don't care. I don't care. The right. line was backed up on I-95 too, but I'm still here 15 minutes early. Right. Right. And, and I'm exhausted. My yeah. back hurts. I'm shredded from just being like this right. for three hours. You know, and then Bob gets off of a flight from Hawaii after 12 hours, comes in and is like going to teach me how to do Beethoven 1. And I'm like, wait, 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 one more time. One more time. I had it yesterday, Bob. One more time. Oh, was it right hand? Oh, yeah, double right. And he's just like, you can't, you're not going to play in an orchestra, right? Like, and so when I see that comment, coming out past the filter in his brain that was like jet lagged and was like, no, don't say that. You know, like, right, right, right. I've been in those moments and I'm like, okay, he's yeah. a person and yeah. I get it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, you know, the teacher side of that, I now at this point in my teaching career, uh, which I've just finished year 18. Um, I, like I don't, I don't map that on 
for students. I don't map it on necessarily to any specific, you know, area within our field. So, you know, whether somebody wants to be an orchestral player, generalist, chamber musician, whatever, um, it, you know, unless it's really, really obvious that like, wow, this person has a passion for orchestral music, but is terrible at it. I mean, if that's the case, then we can have a heart to heart. Um, it's more about like, just my frustrations as a teacher only come into play if, if, if the work is not being done. And I, I mean, I, I, that's a very, very broad word, the work. Um, but it, it does come back to like, this is a colossal waste of time uh, if you're not really into it. Cause there's so many other things in life that we can be into that you'll probably, you know, catch a, you know, some, something will, the fire will, will be lit and you, you'll realize, oh, I, you know, I have a passion for literally anything else, but clearly it looks like you don't have it for this, you know, like mm-hmm. maybe it's just sort of, you liked high school band and that's where your friend group was. And some of them are continuing on, on that path into college. And so you're going to do that same thing as well. But so imparting that reality of, no, this is, this is different. This is now, you know, your livelihood or not. So you can't approach it in the same way. It really does now take this overwhelming investment of your life for this period of time. You know, maybe not your entire life. Um, I'm speaking in terms of practice. Like I'm, you know, I haven't picked up sticks in a while. So uh, like, I'm not, I'm not still like, I've got to practice four to six hours a day. Um, but in a certain period of your life, you have to, uh, or invest in whatever that is. It may not be, you know, practicing Delacluse. It may be, you know, working on your, your, your teaching chops, your band directing chops or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if that, if that isn't evident, that that's where that's that's the frustration I have. So any any of those highly uncomfortable conversations I've had with students along those lines is all because of that. I don't care what you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. But show show demonstrate that you are putting in the time, I, the investment. I did a podcast with a, a friend the other day and we were talking about the sort of ethics of teaching and what what like what's the buy-in from both parties and like in an environment where, you know, at NYU, for example, where it's like 30 K a semester. And Mm -hmm. so like, there's already a huge buy-in just monetarily speaking from one side. Yeah. Um, which I think, you know, when I was at Yale, my first year there was 24 K I think, or 22 K and the scholarship thing came in the second year, but I'm not sure. Like, I felt like I always had the approach of like, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm paying to be in this room, but like, when I'm in this room, it's not like I'm entitled. It's not like I now have everything. You still have to be like, what is this? What is this? What is this? Like make Joan Panetti kick you out of her office. You can't just go to Yale and be around her and get the same thing from her, get $22,000 worth of stuff from her. Right. And I feel like I want it's, I think what you're, I feel like what I hear, I'm hearing you say is like, you need to be able to, to detect not, progress on the skill set like you are now better at this but like i need to see that you your buy-in i need mm-hmm. to tell that you are interested in figuring this out right if you're not interested in figuring it out i i don't you're wasting twenty two thousand dollars a year right because there's a process here that we're right. and i don't have an interest in making you a great steel drummer i don't care i'm trying to figure that out for myself and i haven't yet mm-hmm. like what i want you to be is somebody who's interesting and interested yeah. You can, then, whenever you land in whatever job you're in, you've practiced that skill set. Right. You know, students who will look at the programming at Carnegie Hall or something and be like, "Well, why am I not? Why is why is this? You know, they're not programming this, this, and this. And why? Well, I want to play Carnegie. It's not fair. I don't get to do that. Or I'm not playing at Lincoln Center. Or I'm not playing at this concert hall. I'm not playing at this concert hall. You guys are. What do you? you know, why can't I do that? It's like, well, all of the things can be true, but. It's also true, the 10,000 hour, like the Malcolm Gladwell thing is, mm-hmm. while a sort of a platitude, like, sorry, when you walk on the stage at Carnegie Hall, you have to have your shit together because there's a stagehand who's right off stage. As soon as you walk off there being like, where do I put the drums? Right. What case? What case? Right. Show me. And you're like, I need to go meet my parents. 
and they're yelling at you. And like, that's, you have to be good at that. Right. And you get good at that by playing 3000 coffee shop gigs for free or for tips. Right. Because the stakes are higher at Carnegie hall and Lincoln center. And mm-hmm. that for some reason, I feel like that sort of awareness, like I always felt like, well, yeah, I mean, I got to practice, 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 right. <laughs> you know? Right. And I'm curious if you're, if you're clocking anything with your students where you're sorting have to, you're sort of having to remind them that, you know, maybe you're not ready. <laughs> maybe you have mm-hmm. to do a few more pull-ups before you go into a pull-up competition. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I do have this, those conversations and, you know, honestly, they don't always, you know, we we're, we're speaking of them happening still in sort of that, as we often have to have these conversation and conversations in a, in a deficit sort of way, mm-hmm. which is, you know, uh, student X is, you know, clearly you are not <laughs> pouring in the time and in order mm-hmm. to, you know, the task right in front of our face is, you know, the first three etudes of the image book, but really that's what we're talking about here is what that means for the rest of your life. So if you can't do it for, you know, a lollipop stand or whatever the, the, the pieces are called, then, then obviously you're not going to, you're not going to turn it on, you know, 10 years down the road when, uh, when somebody calls you, which they won't. To, Out to for play. a walk with granddad is a really good list <laughs> for whether, whether or not you can play threads on stage right. at Lincoln Center, right. you know, right. like that's right. a pretty good barometer. So uh, yeah, uh, you know, those, those conversations happen all the time on a week to week basis, you know, and you know, there's good lessons and bad lessons in that way. And I, and I think as teachers are, you know, one of our big responsibilities is just simply to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise we're just kind of phoning it in and like, Oh, sure. That's yeah, fine. You know, do it again next week. But you know, like, Hey, this is, you are capable of doing this in one week and you didn't, you actually didn't demonstrate that you could. And I, I know you're capable of doing it. I wouldn't have assigned it to you as a one week project. If you weren't, mm-hmm. you didn't do it. You know, here's what we need to work on to get better at, at that thing. Not granddad goes for a walk, but mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just, approaching a task but the other way that i that and I, this is more rare but it, it i have a student right now uh that i won't name uh but it happens not in a deficit way but in the other way which is the students who um do work really hard and are really talented and still have a lot of self-doubt mm-hmm. and are constantly questioning you know maybe maybe like everything hasn't clicked yet yeah, yeah. and they haven't um you know, they haven't gotten the first big feather in their cap of like winning this competition or getting into this thing or this thing or this thing. But that's also challenging from the mm. teacher's perspective. I've had you know, good frustrations without, of, of, you know, trying to find ways like, how do I communicate to this, to this kid that like, if they keep doing what they're doing, it's going to be great. It's going to be really great. But man, you just have you just have to have some patience with it. Like keep, you know, that that too is a challenge. Sometimes I think it's even more challenging than coming down on someone. Coming down on someone is pretty easy. Like, hey, look, these are the stakes. If you don't do it, you're not going to get a job. Like, why are you here? Um, but the other way around is like, man, I see I see some really good things for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you. You haven't had that big moment yet, but you're you're going to have it if you just keep doing keep working the way you're working because of those frustrations on the student side, of course, can really quickly turn into, well, why am I working this hard? If I, right. if I haven't received right. yet that sort of right. like level up, um, this isn't worth it. Cause it's a lot of work. Cause we all know. Well, what, I mean, one of the, for you, like there's the sort of what you have a vi- vision of what being a musician is when you're in school and you think, okay, this is, I've got my ducks in a row. And then you get your first gig and you like, you print out your contract on word and you mail it (laughs) off and you get it back and it's everything signed and you're great for you. What were some of the things that were come to Jesus moments where you sort of, not that like your, your assumptions were wrong in school, but like now you're the order in which you thought everything was in order to reach that success. How did you have to reorder those, that shell game, once you actually get in the room where like you're, you've studied for four years, how to cut open a head. And now we're in a room where people are cutting open heads. Like what, what for you was the like, Whoa, I didn't, Holy crap. I'm glad I did this boy. Oh boy. Am I glad that, that I had yeah. this in schooling? Cause turns out this is the most important thing. Right. Right. 
Um, yeah, I think generally um, uh, ex- the experiences at Yale, but then also um, very much that bleed into, and, and this is the gray area because we're sort of students and not students at the same time, the bleed into early days of so, mm-hmm. I think was probably the most educational thing um that that i have experienced and just how messy it is not even um not talking you know person to person and you know things like that because i mean you know we were all friends um but just like it's not it's not you know it's not a straight line obviously uh it's not like oh we're a group and we're really great and now all these great things are happening <laughs> and we're making a bunch of money mm-hmm. it's um I mean, you hear this from everybody all over the place uh, year after year after year. And I, I understand the frustration of this, but um, you said something about, you know, playing 3000 coffee gigs or coffee shop gigs for free. The reality of that I know is like, we don't, I don't want the world to function that way. You know, I don't want that to be yeah, I don't either. To be clear. The, the way it is. Right. Right. Um, I, I landed on a, I don't know if you saw that, Facebook thread, um, Casey posting his adjunct position at um, JMU the other day. And there's this whole thing that unfolded. Um, what, I, about, I, I didn't, was it a controversy? I didn't, I didn't follow it. It was just I, about I, the adjunct pay. I mean, Casey posted, oh, here's what it, the job okay. is and here's what the pay is. And, and the, you know, adjunct pay is not, you know, it's mm-hmm. not great and it should be better. And, and, but it, it got to the same sort of thing, of like, you know, what is right and what is just in the world and then what the reality is. And, you know, we're, we're living in it and trying to fight against it, but also living in it and like trying to, you know, communicate that to our younger, yeah. the younger people, our students um, of like, Hey, you have, you have to do this and this doesn't feel good, but also then how do you, how do you do that and also communicate, but you also have to stand up for yourself, you know? You also, somebody, people will try to take advantage of you. So if somebody mm-hmm. books you to, to play their wedding um, and gives you the whole, like, this will be a great experience for you to play marimba for two hours, um, and that's your pay, obviously that's not, then, then you shouldn't take that gig, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. But obviously, mm-hmm. early days of anything, so early days of so, was mostly that, right? So it was coffee shop, small art gallery, driving across you know, driving to Chicago to do this thing, mm-hmm. you know, none of which really pays any money. Um, and all of it teaching the stuff that we, that we of course weren't learning, that we weren't intentionally learning in the practice room, the mm-hmm. things that have nothing to do with the xylophone solo and village burial of fire. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and how hard that is to navigate all of that. Just as you mentioned, like, if you get done playing at Carnegie and te- step off the stage, then it's like go time on the logistics <laughs> side. Right, um, right. How do you keep a million notes in your head and play, you know, all of this crazy music? And, but then more, probably more importantly, um, you know, treat the presenter with respect and be a professional in the green room and not know, complain about the food. Yeah. Yeah. And know how to pack a truck and, um, and know how to drive when you're sleep deprived. And I, you know, I, I hate all that. I, you know, I, well, I don't hate it, but I, I hate that it's like, oh, you know, that you have to, you you have to. Um, that stuff is hard. It's not easy, you know, um, or it's not fun. I, you know, I I don't know if it's for some people that maybe it's not a challenge, but it's not. It's that, that's not the fun stuff. That's not what we imagine our careers to be. It's one of the things that, I mean, I've been thinking about this too. And I, I mean, my position at NYU since day one in 2005 was adjunct. And there wasn't the sort of societal um, critique of adjunct positions at the time. Um, mm-hmm. And I have I, I had just had planted in my head from when I was in school, there was a guy named Jeff Babinski, who was a drum set player, um, lived in the Akron area. And I started playing a ton of gigs when I was in school. And I, I just happened to like, complain to him or something about like, eh, I don't, you know, I didn't enjoy that gig or whatever. And he's just like, well, moving forward, like, just think about, I don't remember exactly what he called it, but I've sort of adapted it to be the three P's, the people, the pay and the project. Mm-hmm. And he's like two out of the three need to be met at all times. Yeah. And so if you just do that, then you'll end up happy mm-hmm. at the end. You may not mm-hmm. have all the money, but you'll have other currency. And I was like, well, that's an interesting way to think about it. And 
So for like getting a job at NYU, for me, I understand why people are talking about the adjunct thing in the way from a certain vantage point. But for me, they let me walk in and talk about whatever I want related to steel drums. Mm -hmm. I program whatever I want and they let me bring in whoever I want. I have full control. I get to work with who I want. Yeah. Now maybe the pay is not great. Yeah. The people in the project are great. Awesome. Check. And I just move on with my life because that right, adjunct right. job is one tenth of the overarching way I make all my money. Now, right. I understand not everybody is in a, in that position, but I would say so is the same way. Mm-hmm. I mean, if people really want to know what I make, you can look it up online. <laughs> We're a 501c3. <laughs> you can see what we get paid. And right, right. we live in New York City. Right. You can crunch the numbers. Yeah. Um, like, but the the people in the project are good and there's enough pay now where it's starting to sort of all even out. But I think seeing adjuncts, I mean, I'm also just an approach, like I've I've also been able to change the system at NYU slowly over 15 years. And so my advice to students who are like picketing and, and doing the, like, I will never take an adjunct job. It's like, okay, that's fine. But don't underestimate the amount of power you have Mm -hmm. as someone who has no, responsibilities other than do to do the thing to teach garage band. Like you don't have to go to meetings <laughs> now they can fire you at any given moment for whatever. Yes. Sure. But with everything in life, there's a roll of the dice. And right. I think also for me, I have to accept partially that that's a reality because I don't want to get my doctorate. Right. Which yep. means <laughs> I'm never going to be in running to teach at Baylor. If you mm-hmm. ever retired, mm-hmm. even with my career as it is, my application comes across the desk at Baylor and they're going to shuffle it to this pile because I don't have a doctorate. And that's a reality. And that sucks too. That's a systemic thing that stinks for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I think it's some of the realities now as a 41 year old that I'm willing to swallow and chew on and try to yeah. change from the inside in small ways. Yeah. I, and I think the, the adjunct thing is the thing that makes it really tricky <clears throat> is because, and I'll use Baylor as a, as an illustration of this, um, Chris size, by the way, just, just announced his departure from Baylor. He'll, he'll mm. be leaving us. Sorry um, to hear that. Yeah. He, his, his wife got a gig, uh, in Calgary, which is great for her. Um, and Chris has a one year residency that he needs to do at Michigan in order to finish his DMA. So, got it. you know, it just didn't make logistical sense. And uh, in the same way that prior to Chris, when Ivan, uh, was teaching here, his commute from Austin and, you know, he wanted, um, uh, you know, wanted, wanted to at least pursue like his, his healthcare possibility, you know, they were having their first baby. Like, right, right. so those things, um, those considerations for people like Ivan or Chris who are both highly qualified and great, really great at what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, in a scenario like Baylor where they're teaching a portion of the studio and the actual work that they do, the meat and potatoes of what we do, which is we teach lessons or we coach mm-hmm. chamber. Um, that they're doing the exact same job that I'm doing in, 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 in that, in that moment, but then that there's such a discrepancy in pay. I understand that frustration, but the way you have framed it, I think obviously is the larger picture of that. Um, I think where it becomes dangerous is if, you know, more and more universities, I shouldn't even say dangerous. It's a bad word to, to say. Um, Cause I mean, universities are going to do what they're going to do, but if, if the shift is, you know, all towards adjuncts where they're paying these highly qualified people, you know, um, a very small percentage compared to what they would pay a full-time person to do all of these um, things. It just, we then have to reframe what it means to be a college professor. And if that is something that people want to pursue as their, as their primary thing. Now you're talking about it. It's a, it's a, it's a portion. It's a part of what you do overall. Your primary thing is obviously so, but for people like me um, who at some point set their sights on, no, I want to, I want to teach at a university um, that that would then mean something different if it unfolded and went down, you know, that, that different path. We're talking probably talking decades from now, if it were to do that. But um, so I, you know, I, I do understand the kind of the, the warning cry um, for that. And I understand that we're, I'm going to keep losing adjuncts because of it, but mm-hmm. I also then get the reality of like, okay, yeah, but I mean, I it's can, interesting. 
I can keep, you know, banging my fist on a table internally and the voices that I'm, you know, getting feedback from within the school of music are all sympathetic to that. They all feel the same way, but they're also not controlling how much we can pay adjuncts. So, um, I mean, it's one of the things I've, I've noticed about the way Jonathan Haas has set up the program at NYU. Um, there's like six or seven folks adjuncts on staff or on faculty that do like Valerie Naranjo does African drumming mm-hmm. and dance. Jim Saperito, I think does like xylophone and pit percussion stuff because that's a bit of a focus at NYU with right. the Broadway th- scene. Right. Um, I do steel band with Kendall Williams there now. Um, and so like there's like Sean Statzer teaches like improvisation and vibraphone studies and things. And so like Jonathan, I felt, I feel has done a really good job of, he's very aware of what, where his skill set stops and then he brings in people to sort of have like tap directly into that vein, which I think, I think over the long haul has given students more of a, like, I don't want to say a diverse education, but like you've gotten cleaner information in all of these fields rather than getting it distilled through one professor who has tertiary information of everything. You know what I mean? And I think that, that approach adjunct wise, whether the students realize that or not, I just know they're getting better information um, from me or Kendall than they would be getting from Jonathan if right. he was trying to run it himself and having phone calls with me on the weekend to be like, right. how do I teach a Calypso drum beat? You know, yeah. which is common. And I, again, no value judgment there because I think that happens a lot. And um, right. But I think Jonathan has done a good job at NYU. But, I, but again, the warning cry is noted. And um, I just think this stuff manifests itself differently at every school too. I mean, that's right. The, the sort of um, relativism of everything of like, oh, well, there's this thing that's happened in Texas. And so we've got to like, we got to mm-hmm. fix that. And I live in New York and it's like, well, maybe that thing in Texas works really well for Baylor, mm-hmm. but it's not going to work so well for University of Akron and University of Akron should try to figure out some way. Also too, like what, what are we like? Are we training students for specific vocations? I'm, I'm sort of questioning the whole, like, mm-hmm. What is, are we training people? Are we going to start teaching them how to manage budgets? Like, is it important? Like if I would have been forced as part of my schooling to have like a month where I check in with the secretary in the music office and I've got to sit and fill out W2s. Right. I'm I'm being serious, not glib here. My life was so would have been easier, would have been easier by one week. Right of right. work that I had to figure out what a 1099 was, you know, right. like, yeah. and how to file it. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of students who want to play, but also a lot of students who get in there are like, I love admin. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, and we just discourage it, you know, for sure. some reason. Yeah. I, um, I agree. And I, th- you know, I, that's obviously a, a, a part or a glimpse of what, any program that's tapping into the entre- entrepreneurial aspects of what we do, you know, can achieve more sort of the nuts and bolts, but I mean, let's be honest, the nuts and bolts are, are, you know, what keep the gears churning, <laughs> you know? Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think those things for me were always more challenging than like the, Oh, I've got this cool idea. I think as, as musicians and artists, maybe, maybe cool ideas um, come a little easier to us than how, how to do 1099s, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, that sort of like lends, leads me into the, just as we're, I've already taken 48 minutes of your life here, Todd, I apologize. <laughs> um, the good ideas are, are, there's no shortage of good ideas and it's, it's, which of those good ideas? So percussion was a good idea, mm-hmm. but it take it took four people to agree on that idea and then wake up every day and keep thinking about that idea and watering it and cutting off the dead leaves and letting it grow bigger. You know, mm-hmm. liquid drum is, is, is a good idea from your head and you're now at a, four, how long has liquid drum been around? Um, I don't at this point even remember when it started, but I mean, at least four what four years probably four or five years yeah i feel like you started liquid drums similarly to the time that i started my podcast which was like five years ago yeah and let's call it five let's call it five five feels good half a decade (laughs) um 
what have you learned now a half a decade in about this good idea that you had um, and how have you noticed it sort of evolve over the last five years? Um, I still believe it's a good idea, uh, which is kind of the, that's key for me. If I didn't, I would no longer do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, at some point, probably in my thirties had to get to a place of, of really understanding that, um, especially bigger projects are going to take me a long, long time and that that's okay. Um, that none of it I'm seeing is like a, um, an in and out thing, uh, you know, like I'll put this thing out and then I don't have to do anything to it. And it's just going to be amazing for the, you know, like that it, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's a super slow burn. Uh, part of that is just lack of, of time that I can dedicate towards it because mm-hmm. for full-time job and, you know, when I'm not doing that, I'm doing stuff with the family. Um, so there's going to be times when I can put attention into it and there's gonna be a lot of times when I can't. Um, but I still, I still, uh, believe in it. Um, I think there, uh, there's a lot of things I still want to do, uh, with it. Uh, I think some of it is trying to figure out like at the beginning it was, it was, um, you know, it was just, it was just videos, which wasn't then, I mean, that wasn't even a thing. Uh, not that videos weren't a thing, but like mm-hmm. me putting out videos is not a company. <laughs> it's, it's just me right. putting out videos and putting right. a, a logo on it. Um, so that wasn't, that wasn't a business at that point. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, having now a handful of products uh, that I'm responsible for, um, continuing to figure out how those things can facilitate and take care of the idea to allow it to keep going, Mm -hmm. to allow me to get back to the more creative parts of it. And so I'm not, I'm not there yet. Like Mm -hmm. I need, I I think there's a, um, I think there will be a point when I kind of build whatever inventory of whatever thing out enough that it will, it will be kind of a, 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 a machine that can churn along without me doing a ton of stuff on that end of things, like mm-hmm. just trying to figure out like, okay, yeah, I've got, you know, I just put out this, the Sean's book, you know, at the mm-hmm. end of last year, um, you know, trying to figure out like, okay, how do we, how do we put enough attention into that to get the thing moving, to get it known enough so that it's like, you know, it's every year it's going to, sell what it needs to sell to make Sean happy and, and to mm-hmm. just have his literature out there and, and, and also benefit what it needs to benefit for me. Like Trump. Um, uh, or, you know, what that might eventually be if, you know, for the steel drum uh, uh, method you have, have talked about mm-hmm. um, or what that would be, you know, I'm talking with Jihei and Eric about, mm-hmm. um, you know, their, their book, their music. So whatever those things are and then my own stuff. Um, I don't know what that point is that it's going to hit the place of like, okay, there's enough, there's enough fuel in this thing now to last. And I can get myself back to trying to think of, you know, using it in ways that are fulfilling to me. And it's not that putting out books is not fulfilling to me. I do. I mean, I like, I I don't mind like fulfilling Mm -hmm. orders, like putting, sliding a book into an envelope putting the liquid drum stamp on it. There's something about that that's satisfying. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But I'd love to free myself up in order to do other things with it. Now, one might say, well, okay, then the next step is easy. You hire someone to do the more menial tasks of that. Um, Well, just to pause for two, just to pause for two seconds here. Sorry to interrupt, but this is where the, like, this is where the argument of like, well, just pay adjuncts more. Right. It's like, right. Yeah, I mean that that sort. It's the same thing as saying, "Well, just hire somebody." It's right. Like, well, do you, yeah. do you have do you have uh, do you have thirty k? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> do you that's know right. what payroll taxes are? <laughs> or I'm sure I'm sure this was the exact same thing with um, you know it, at whatever point in the evolution of so, which happened well after my oh, or yeah. after my time. I don't know if well after my time, but you know when you guys were able to actually hire people to do all the stuff mm-hmm. that um, that you were doing yourselves. Um, and yeah, because you're like, 
I haven't just been secretly sitting on a, on a full or even part-time salary. So what am I going to do with this money? I don't, gosh, no, I'll, I'll keep stuff in the envelope. envelopes. I think this is a good idea. Yeah. You know, it's not there. It's simply yeah. not there. So you're taking a leap no matter what. And, and this is, this is true of any you know startup business of like, yeah, at some point you do, you got to take a leap because if you hire that person, it's probably going to generate more stuff and more sale. You know, it's going to, it's going to pay for itself or that's the hope. Um, so, yeah, I, you know, I, the one thing I, I, I come back to is that I still really enjoy it. I enjoy that it's a thing. Mm. I enjoy that it's there for me. I enjoy that it's there for other people. I enjoy that people still contact me and say, hey, I've got this book idea or music. I, you know, maybe we could partner on this. Um, so that's, that's, that's what it's doing right now. But my hope is that, that I'll be able to write it for as long as I am doing anything professionally, you know, I don't see there's no reason why not. I mean, it's, um, I mean, I've mentioned the, t- the Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours thing. And, and when you talk about a slow burn, um, I'm starting to think about like everything in my life, whether it be a podcast, whether it be a book I'm reading, <laughs> um, or a so project or an idea at NYU, that is a big idea, like, and not a, like, I would like to program this panorama tune in the fall, but like, (laughs) I want to take, I want to have my students at NYU have an experience in Trinidad that involves, okay, that's not something I can do by tomorrow. It's like every idea you have is a fuse. And when you light that fuse, it's going to take 10 years before it blows up. Mm -hmm. And so the longer you wait to light the fuse, it's like, no matter when you start, it's like my podcast. Like, I wish I would have started the podcast when I felt like I wanted to, which right. was like three years prior to when I actually did, because mm-hmm. I'd be three years better at talking to people now. And so now I'm just like, well, the fuse is lit. I'm glad I lit it when Trump got elected because, you know, I had to light something on fire. Right. Um, right. But now it's like, okay, the fuse has been burning for five years. I now have a better idea of, I'm like, my podcast started out at three hours because I thought that's what I wanted to do. And Mm -hmm. now I'm basically like an hour to an hour and 15. Yeah. And it's like, I've learned that about myself for you. Putting a potato on a vibraphone video (laughs) or snorkeling in that fountain. Mm -hmm. Nobody at that time ever crossed their minds that they would have a snare drum book of Indian Tala's published through you. Right. But that fuse was lit. It just was burning through that fountain. <laughs> yeah. And, it, and now it came out of the fountain and it went past your potato vibes. And now it's on Sean Tedeschi's <laughs> book. That's right. You know? Yeah. But had you not lit – had you lit that fuse today, you'd be snorkeling in a fountain and Sean Matabeski would be like finding right. somebody else or nobody. You right. know? So right. anyway, I just wanted to put – like to highlight that idea that mm-hmm. you mentioned that for students who have some misconception about like, oh, I, I want to do what Todd's doing. Mm-hmm. I can do a liquid drum. I can make silly videos. It's like, okay, do it. Yeah, yeah. But you, <laughs> but you got to do it for ten years. You know, that's the. Thing. Yeah, yeah, um, and I, I, I do think it's an easier lesson to learn. It's an easier thing to stomach as as an older yeah. person, and so, you know, a lot of what if we turn this back around on what we convey to our students, um, those are challenging things to convey. I, I mean, I talked to. Uh, Jack all the time about this because you know Jack is 15 now and he loves playing Minecraft and he makes he makes Minecraft videos you know he's got a YouTube account um, and you got you know it's like no different than any other field right like every young person who's a gamer wants to be you know a YouTuber and like you know there's there are these people in the field that are highly successful at it and hey you know like oh, that's not so hard. I could, and, um, and I don't even, you know, well, one, I don't care, but I, I don't want Jack to be a YouTuber. Obviously we're not making that his, his, his professional goal. Um, but he likes making videos. He likes, you know, he's, he's, um, using Premiere Pro now. It's a good skill to have, you know, he's taking a multimedia class in school. Those are good skills to have. Um, and so, you know, he's not so down the rabbit hole at this point, but you know, he would have conversations with me late at night of frustrating of like, Oh, you know, I only have X number of followers on YouTube and you know, like nobody's seeing my stuff and blah, 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 blah. 
And I would try to convey to the best of my ability, which I'm sure falls on deaf ears because there's such a dis- disconnect in our age, but like, yeah, but do you enjoy, do you enjoy doing it? Like, do you like edit- editing videos? And it's like, yeah, I do. I, la- <laughs> I like playing Minecraft and I like editing videos. Great. And just keep doing it. Like, just keep putting the videos out, you know, like no one will, no video is ever going to go viral if it doesn't exist. Like it has to be out there. You have to build this, this body of work, um, you know, and, and just keep your hopes and dreams, you know, somewhat in check and, and in touch with reality. But if you really enjoy doing the thing, I think that's no different from who we are as musicians or percussionists. Like I'm, you know, nowhere near uh, the, you know, the, the height of, of fame and celebrity that some people are in our field that people look to and think, Oh, I want to grow up and be like, you know, whoever. Mike Bird, or Nancy Zeltzman, or whatever. You Doug know, Perkins. It, the Doug Perkins, right? I mean, this guy. Um, and you know, I think as as younger people, we do. I mean, I admit I was immature enough to say, like, oh, I would, that, I would like that. I would like to play in a big orchestra because of how mm. I would look playing mm. in a big orchestra. Mm-hmm. You know, what people would what people would think and say about me. Um, and and. I happily shedded that at some point, you know, just in growing up and becoming an adult and realizing that there, there actually are more important things in the world <laughs> to me well, yeah. than that. Um, but it, all of that is okay because I, I do still enjoy the work. Yeah. I, I, you know, it fills me with such great joy if I ever get a call from you or Jason to do something with. So mm-hmm. I, you know, not because it's going to change the trajectory of my career, but because I'm like, that's, that's going to be really fun. That's going to be a really fun two and a half days. Hmm. Great. The people in the project are definitely getting met. That's right. Not the pace. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, I mean, just to sort of uh, answer a question I asked you about like what, um, like what your motivations are for doing something. I mean, I mean, for me, the uh sort of like what are the things that that dawned on you once you get into the real world outside of school um and when i say the real world i mean playing a gig when you're in school is the real world but it's like the thing the things now as a 41 year old that i remember after 16 years of concerts was so are the times when you were subtly making fun of adam and he didn't realize and, and thought it was dub it's the times that eric was pounding Buffalo Mac and cheese before a show and was like getting the sweats before he walked out, but then played a better show than all of us. It's the meltdowns on stage. It's the horrible mistakes. It's the somebody farted on stage and like, (laughs) and everybody had to walk through it. It's like those little things that like, it's not, there's, I don't remember audience applause. I don't remember any of our Carnegie show other than me pulling my vest back to show you the liquid drum sticker on the inside during the show. Like, And so I, I asked myself, like, did I go into the wrong career? Like, what the fuck am I doing? <laughs> On the other hand, I feel like that's the stuff at my funeral. I, if you walked on, if you walked in front of my casket with my silly face sitting there and you were like, man, Josh really on the ride, the ride bongo pattern in, in Poe just really was the rock. He was the guy that we all went to. I actually feel like I would rise up out of the casket and be like, <laughs> I fucked up. I, I messed up my life. You know, I want you guys to come up and tell the funny stories about, cause I think that's the stuff that's sticking with me and I'm trying to figure out why, like, why am I not, why do I not think that music is this transcendental? Why have I never had the sort of like music is going to save me? Yeah. Vibe? What saves yeah. me, what saves me is, me just sitting there quietly knowing you're the reason everybody in the room is making fun of Sly, but he's stuck. <laughs> like, like that's for me, that is just, that's where the like manna from heaven comes emotionally. Is that like super right. weird to say out loud? I, it, well, it's not to me because I feel I, I share those exact same thoughts mm-hmm. and feelings. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it, it, and it's, I, I have the same, like, you know, what are we doing? Uh, type of thought because I'm like, man, we all went to school and worked so hard (laughs) to learn this very, very obscure thing in order to get on stage and have a chuckle with each other 
right. you know, or, <laughs> or be in a rehearsal room and, 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 you know, laugh because there's an inside joke going on. And, and, and that, that is the takeaway. And that becomes the thing of like, yeah, that's, you know, that's why, I mean, you could say that about any kind of, for talking about concerts that we've played together, that if, if I'm thinking about the Barbican, Mm-hmm. I don't remember. I don't remember how any of the performance went. Um, uh, I remember Jessica had a massive headache after we played, you know, seventy minutes of Reich, and then we were like, "And after Reich, we're going to go out to the lobby and play eighty minutes of, of Michael Gordon." That seems like a good idea. <laughs> oh, I think Stephanie was standing right next to Jessica there at the Barbican, and I when I got off phone when I got off a stage from the Barbican, there were a bunch of texts from Stephanie just like, "Why, why, what, where? I'm leaving." <laughs> I hate yeah. Michael Gordon and I hate, I love, uh, they're very nice people, but like, I don't know. No, 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 no. Yeah. But you know, like still, that still brings me joy. Not that we've, you know, made our wives have massive headaches of playing, you know, way, way too much. It's part of it. It's part of the, it's <laughs> right. part of the, the feeling. Right. Right. But I, yeah. I mean, those, those, those are my takeaways. It's never like, you know, I, I nailed, you know, C to D in third construction this time. I mean, like on a personal level, I think we can walk off stage and be like, oh, cool. That went like that part that I've kind of been screwing up a bunch. Yeah. It went good for me. But three weeks after, I'm not still going to be like, Josh, do you remember, man, when I, you know, that concert and C to D, I was just, I, I killed it, right? Um, yeah, because everybody's going to be like, yeah, the four shows before that, though, <laughs> Def didn't. <laughs> you were playing, you were playing Tin Can, so you were supposed to be on a rockers. Yeah. No, I, I do. I do feel the same. And maybe maybe other people don't or maybe people have some sort of messy um, uh, version of that combined with a lot of other things. Or maybe people do get, you know, pure satisfaction out of like just, you know, shredding a, a loud snare drum roll in Shostakovich. And that's uh, that's also great. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's like anything. It's allowing space and being able to share um, these aspects uh, especially in retrospect with with our students so that they know what to look for so that they're it's not i know as a student that i i thought there was one target and the target was play poor game best with all the right notes at at 126 every single time have the ability yeah. to do that yeah. um and that just has such such a small part to do with the actual reality of life um well you have to be able to play poor game best you have to be able to talk to the business manager respectfully at the orchestra you ha- who has no idea what Porgy or Bess or Gershwin is. <laughs> you have to be able to play Porgy and Bess and get along with your colleagues and convince them to like you enough that they give you tenure mm-hmm. and they vote to keep you around. And then you have to keep that work up so that 25 years later you're not reading a newspaper lamenting your choices in life. Yeah. Like yeah. that's, that's the excerpt you're, you're preparing. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so because yeah. How, how many people, I mean, there's proof out there. There's people who, how many orchestra sections have you walked into where like, you're like, did somebody, did somebody sleep with somebody's wife in here? Like, <laughs> why, why are you guys looking at each other like this? <laughs> you know? And, right. um, I just feel like. I'm I'm curious what their memories of concerts are. And I feel like the older I get, I'm very grateful that I feel guilty that I should, I should care more about the ride bongo section Uh enough to like keep focused on it and not pull my vest back. (laughs) But for some reason I felt it was more important and I stand by it. (laughs) So, well, Todd, um, I've taken an hour and five minutes of your life and I enjoy it. I enjoyed it. Um, I'm really grateful to get to talk to you and I hope that we can cross paths sooner than later now that the pandemic is sort of easing, um, and restrictions are, how is your, is your daily life sort of returning to some normality? Yeah. Yeah. Some normality. Um, you know, Luca doesn't turn 12 until, uh, next Sunday, Sunday, he turns 12 on Sunday. So he, he's the lone member of our family that's not vaccinated. Mm. So we're still somewhat cautious um he's he's 
still masking up. And and we do too, honestly, if we're going into a crowded yeah. area. I'm just so used to it now. And I'm like, right. you know what? I haven't been sick in like 16 months. So this is pretty great. Yeah, just the old the old standard rhinovirus. I'm glad to not have dealt with that. <laughs> yeah. But otherwise, yeah, things are generally pretty, you know, it's Texas. It's, uh, we never... State never took it too seriously to begin with, right? Well, um, I will say I've been, you know, I follow you on social media and Luca, I don't have kids, but I ca- every time I see you guys, you posted some video. Oh, Luca had a basketball game. I think this was probably yeah. months ago. Yeah. And I just think to myself, like, I think I'd be a bad parent of Luca because every time I would see him, I would just be like, what do you want, kid? <laughs> you can't possibly do anything wrong. Like, you just have that look on your face, everything about him. He just is like, am I wrong? Is he just like a, like a total hellraiser? Oh no, no no he's yeah no he's he's uh he's great and he's adorable and he um uh yeah I mean the basketball thing was wonderful because he you know he's like three feet tall so <laughs> I mean Jack's great too don't get me wrong I'm a big fan of Jack of course yeah Jessica's different- lovely but Luca I just I just feel like Luca Luca may be the one citizen in the country who can just get away with murder and <laughs> robbery right. <laughs> What are we going to do? Look at him. Yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. Hopefully he uses that to his advantage in the future. He's like one of those quiz show contestants who's like a hitman for the Russian mob. <laughs> right. All right. Well, Todd, I've, I've been creepy enough about your youngest. And um, <laughs> um, it was great to chat with you. Please give uh, give your family my best and uh, much love to you. I hope to, t- to chat soon. Will do, my friend. Thank you. All right. Thanks, buddy. Okay, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. This podcast is brought to you by Liquid Drum, liquiddrum.com down in Waco, Texas. Uh, my good friend Todd Meehan runs an amazing percussion company down there. Great merch, great content. Check him out, liquiddrum.com. Also, Kyle Dunleavy, dunleavypans.com, D-U-N-L-E-A-V-Y pans.com. Kyle Dunleavy makes and builds all the steel drums that I perform and teach on, uh, and so percussion as well as at NYU and Princeton. Uh, he's an amazing, amazing tuner builder. Um, just a really nice guy. Very dependable. Check him out. If you are interested at all in steel pan advocacy, uh, want to learn more about the goings on uh, in pan in Brooklyn, check out paninmotion.com. My good friend Kendall Williams, uh, Jerry Guy, Trisha Guy, and uh, Arisha John run an amazing organization called paninmotion.com. Check him out. And finally, Aliandre Mirage runs an amazing uh, clothing apparel company in Brooklyn that is steel pan centric. You can check him out at Mango Chow, C-H-O-W, clothing.com. I own a bunch of his shirts. They're amazing, very stylish, uh, beautiful, beautifully made. Check them out. Mango Chow, clothing.com. Okay, hope you're well. Talk to you soon. Bye.